I greet you this morning in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, as we gather in worship this morning. Today we are continuing our fall emphasis on multiply. God's grace blesses our lives in amazing ways, and we are called to respond in kind. It multiplies in ways we cannot even begin to imagine, and then we're called to go out into the world to share it with others. And our featured biblical stories teach the new math of God's kingdom. Today's sermon is loss and gain as we rehearse the ark, see what I did there, of Noah's life. Our scripture lesson comes from Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Last week, we rehearsed the creation of first man and first woman on the sixth day of creation. God placed them in the Garden of Eden as stewards and co-creators. Genesis declares, God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and, here's that word, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, at least until Genesis chapter 3. We intuitively understand the next part of the story because we're all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. There was one tree in the middle of the garden they must not touch. The serpent hissed words of temptation. Adam and Eve chose their own will over God's will and disobedience over obedience. Sin entered into the world. Creation fell. And we live and die with the consequences of that dire day. And yet the story continues. And divine blessing continued even in the midst of human curse. Adam and Eve pursued God's will for their life. They were fruitful and multiplied. Genesis 4 tells the story of the birth of first Cain and then of Abel. But the descendants of Adam and Eve continued in their patriarch and matriarch's path. And things went from bad to worse to the point where in Genesis chapter 6 we read, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become and that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Therefore, God decided to destroy the divine creation with a great flood. 
There was one man who found favor in the Lord's sight, Noah, who was a righteous man, blameless among the people, and he walked with the Lord. So God commanded Noah to build a large ark or boat and then to place his family upon it along with two of every kind of animal. And as the rains began, God sealed the door and it poured for 40 days and for 40 nights. But the Lord was true to his promise and delivered Noah and his family on the far side of the flood and he placed a rainbow in the sky as a sign of a covenant that he would never destroy the earth by water again. Then listen to what happens next. The Lord blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and multiply. It was the exact same blessing God gave to Adam and Eve, but with one notable change. Adam and Eve were given for food the seed-bearing plants, and the trees that bore fruit. But God now says to Noah, everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Human beings went from being herbivores or vegetarians to omnivores or meat eaters. And scholars have dealt with that passage in a variety of ways. Some have said, well, the flood destroyed other sources of food, so this was a provision. But much more likely, it was a recognition of human sinfulness. And now death was required in order for life to thrive. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, at least until Genesis 9. Noah the farmer, as one of the first acts after descending from the ark, planted a vineyard. Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. Noah partook of fermented grapes. He became drunk and collapsed naked in his tent. And one of his sons, Ham, saw his father in this disgraceful position and went and told his brothers. And the two brothers, Shem and Japheth, backed into the tent so that they could not see their father's nudity and draped him with a garment. When Noah awoke in his hungover state, he blessed his two boys and cursed Ham. At the risk of psychoanalyzing a biblical character millennia later, It's addictive behavior to blame somebody else for your moral failings. And as you continue to read the story, you've got to wonder, what did the flood accomplish? Because humanity resumed its sinful ways and things continue to go from bad to worse. And today's sermon's titled, Loss and Gain. But when you read the narrative, perhaps a more accurate title would be Loss and Gain and gain and loss again. The story of Noah's Ark continues to fascinate us even today. The Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky is a life-size model of the Ark based upon the Genesis depiction, which is a tourist attraction. 
make sure you visit the gift shop afterwards. Now, as a humorous aside, several years ago, you may have seen this in the news, the Ark Encounter sued its insurance carrier. It seemed there was a big storm and a flood wiped away the roadside that accessed the tourist attraction. You just can't make this stuff up. I recall when our son was born, we decorated his nursery in a Noah's Ark theme had bright primary colors and pictures of animals marching two by two onto the ark. Of course, it was followed by a great flood that wiped out all of humanity, but don't let a little genocide spoil the story or the nursery decor. What do we do with this story? Part of the challenge is we typically think of it as a children's story. We censor and redact the details. We read our beginner's Bible to our children or grandchildren that skips over a lot of what occurred. But when you really begin to read Genesis, it is rated M for mature, in part because it helps us understand who we are and whose we are. And if we hear the lessons, it can lead us to a more mature faith because it is a story of creation, temptation, fall and the consequences of sin, but also of a God who is constantly attempting to call us and to save us. You can say various things about Noah, but one of the primary ones is this. He is the poster child for second chances. God literally destroyed the old creation and gave them a chance to start anew. And they received the same Blessing that Adam and Eve did be fruitful and multiply. But as you begin to read these biblical stories, what you discover is that God is a covenant-making God. And in every relationship he forms with humanity, there are two sides to it. There is God's side, but there is also our side. And both sides have responsibilities and obligations along with privileges and blessings. The Lord constantly offers second chances and fresh starts. Our responsibility is what will we do with them? Will we take advantage to become a new people, or will we continue in the same old patterns? When we're called in our sin, are we sorry, or are we just sorry we got caught? Do we plan to do better next time, or do we plan to just be a little more careful next time? How many second chances do we blow? How many new beginnings end up in the same dead ends, and just how many last chances do we get? Our struggle with sin, and this is no surprise, reflects and mirrors Addicts struggles with the addictions of their choices. And those who deal with addiction will tell you that there is a very common pattern for addicts of initial use, abuse, tolerance, and dependence where they are taking the substance of their choice not to feel good, but simply not to feel bad, addiction and relapse. And if you've ever dealt with addicts, you will see them reach a low point in life 
where they are filled with guilt and shame and they promise to themselves and anyone else who listens that they are about to change their lives and be a people different than they were before. And occasionally, people change. But other times, that same cycle occurs over and again. And brothers and sisters, I just shared every one of ours spiritual autobiographies because there are various places in each of our lives where we struggle and oftentimes fail and fall and we need a strength beyond our own to be more than victors in the name of Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel introduces the beginning of Jesus' ministry with a very concise statement of Christ preaching content. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Uh, The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The order of Jesus' words has always struck me. Repent and believe the good news. And if you read that on a surface level, it sounds like we've got to try really, really hard to become a better people before God is willing to act in our lives. But if you delve deeper, you discover that God's grace is active in our lives throughout this process of hearing and responding to God's call. One of the things I value about the Methodist heritage is John Wesley's emphasis on grace. And we talk about threefold grace, a provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. Believe it or not, I found a passage in the United Methodist Book of Discipline to use as a sermon illustration today. It's not just all laws and codification. It talks about grace in this way. While the grace of God is undivided, It precedes salvation as prevenient grace, continues in justifying grace, and is brought to fruition in sanctifying grace. God's unmerited favor is before us, present with us, and ever working to restore the divine image and transform the entire cosmos into God's reign in Jesus Christ. This is a grace that is prevenient grace or preparing grace. God loves us before we know that we are loved and lovable. God is working in our lives to bring us to a point where we can respond to the Holy Spirit's call. And it is this that enables us to respond to Jesus' call to repentance. A repentance that is more than just a superficial sorrow, but a soul-deep remorse over what we have done and who we have become. A recognition of sin's destructive nature in my life as well as in my relationships. A calling out to God for forgiveness and salvation. Being given a strength that is not our own to turn away from sin and turn toward holiness and to answer God's call. Wesley described prevenient or preparing grace as the porch of salvation that enables us to go through what he called the doorway of salvation, which is justifying or saving grace. 
to accept for ourselves what God has done through Jesus Christ at the cross and at the empty tomb. And to know that we, even we, are saved by God's grace and our sin is forgiven and we are given new life, salvation in God. But part of the genius of the Methodist movement is it doesn't stop there. There is an emphasis on continuing to grow in grace of what Wesley called sanctifying or perfecting grace. That we're constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to transform and to shape our lives so that we are more and more in the image of Jesus Christ conformed to his likeness. And part of what you've heard me share before is if we look back on our spiritual journey and we are not a people different today than we were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, something is wrong. Because our Lord is constantly inviting, wooing us, and granting us the ability to become the people that God created us to be. Because grace is both gift by God but also response by human beings. One author said that God's grace is universally present in all and irresistible in none. That we too have a part to play in the covenant, in the relationship to respond with wholehearted devotion and of discipleship. John Wesley, as he helped disciples respond to Christ's call, uh, formed various ways in which to make concrete what was spiritual. One of the things that the early societies or classes that joined together to encourage one another in the faith did was follow what was called the general rules. I did a sermon series on this a while back, so I know you remember them all. Uh, It's very simple. There are three rules. Do no harm. A kindergartner can understand that. Do good. Preschooler can understand that. And the third, in the original language, is maintain the ordinances of God in a modern paraphrase that stay in love with God. How do you stay in love with God? Wesley said, through the means of grace. These are things God has given us, enable us to grow as Christians, to be sanctified and perfected. You know all of these. The public worship of God, the ministry of the word read or expounded, the Lord's Supper, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence, Christian conferencing, fellowship, conversation, and acts of mercy and compassion. And when you practice these things day by day, not as a way to earn God's grace and favor, but in response to the one who has loved us first and loves us best, then we do slowly, incrementally grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10, 20 and 21, recall how God saved Noah and his family. And then Peter, being a good preacher, uses that imagery and compares it to the rite of baptism in the Christian church and how both are God's salvific act that bring forgiveness, salvation, and grace in our lives. Noah is the poster child for fresh starts and new beginnings. And the question I would invite all of us to reflect upon prayerfully today 
is where do we need that in our life? Where do you need a fresh start? No matter how many starts you've had in the past, where do you need a new beginning? No matter how many beginnings you've squandered in the past, the Holy Spirit is ever ready to do something new in our lives. And the good news of the gospel is we can be different by a power that is beyond our own. The forecast calls for rain. Get on the boat. Let us pray. Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to work with our spirits during this time of worship. Convict us of those areas where we need to begin again. We've blown it. We've messed up. We've sinned. We've hurt ourselves or others. And oftentimes it's the exact same place in the path that we have stumbled before. We claim by your power that the future does not have to be the same as the past. And in this moment, you can transform us and grant us a fresh start and a new beginning. Grant us the grace to hear and respond to our Lord's words. Repent and believe the good news. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.